That really comes down to what the essence of theater is. You gather your community in a circle around you in a sacred space, and you tell a story. This is the Community of Theatre podcast, where we shine a spotlight on the community theatres, the local theatres, the amateur, educational, and outreach theatres, the not-for-profit theatres of all kinds that stage over 25,000 productions across America every year. Today, we're going to talk about reviews and the role of journalistic criticism in the world of not-for-profit theatre. To do that, I'm joined by Michael Miggs, founder of Central Texas Live Theater. Hi, Michael. Hey there, Derek. How are you? Great. How about you? I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation, to tell you the truth. Great, as am I. So before we get into the meat of the conversation, can I get just a, a little bit of background on yourself? How did you get into theater? Oh, boy, that's a big question. <laughs> but let me just uh, give you the short version of it. I was in um, amateur theater and educational theater uh, in high school. Mm -hmm. And in college, I came very close to majoring in drama because I was one of the uh, theater crowd uh, all, all the way through my undergraduate years. But eventually, I wound up pursuing foreign languages, wound up in the State Department. And when I came back after a career of some 30 years, most of that outside the United States, I, there was an enormous gap in my knowledge of what had been happening in U.S. theater. Mm -hmm. So we moved here to Austin, and I discovered very quickly that this was a terrifically creative city, but also one that was uh, providing all sorts of interesting theater experiences, many of which were not being adequately covered mm -hmm. by, um, by the local print media. So my, my daughter, who just graduated from college, had a cooking blog. And I thought, well, that's an interesting format. So I set myself up a blog that I called Austin Live Theater. And some years later, after I had been assiduously reviewing productions, my son, who's a computer engineer, set me up with a, an actual website. So in fact, Central Texas Live Theater better known by its URL, ctxlivetheater.com, mm -hmm. has been operating now for 15 years. I started in June of 2008 with a um, uh, production by Austin Playhouse in their old Penfield location. Mm -hmm. And, well, there's more that I could say and probably yeah. will, but that's <laughs> the essence of it. Great. And I definitely want to come back to CTX Live Theater, the website itself. But before that, I'd like to start a bit more philosophical and ask what, in your opinion, is the purpose of reviews or, or criticism of live theater? Well, let's look at terms, first of all. Um, there's criticism, and then there's reviewing, mm -hmm. and then there's also theater writing. Okay. Now, when you think of criticism, you, you tend to think of the big metropolitan newspapers and some of the famous theater critics, Brooks, Brooks Atkinson or uh, Harold Clerman or, or, or so on, those sort of people who had a lot of impact, uh, especially on the Broadway uh, and other big, big stages. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was reading 
a Swedish author who described how his own play had been translated into English and he went through the process of Broadway production and it was devastated by a bad review on opening night. Uh-huh. So those are the big boys. That's uh-huh. theater criticism what I, is, what, is what I think of. Okay. But then there's reviewing. Now, reviewing is attending a production, and uh, it's kinder than what I think of as criticism. Uh-huh. I would go early in this effort expecting to be a witness, uh, an anonymous face in the crowd, and take away my impressions and uh, write about them in this blog that I had set up. Uh-huh. And generally, uh, in reviewing, the approach was to summarize the concept and appreciate that, well, in the French sense, apprécier, in other words, to note the good, the positive aspects of it. I would empathize with the director, the actors, the company, and understand their motivations and goals, and I would try to put that down in an article of between 500 words and 1,000 words, you know, the rough equivalent of maybe two typed double-spaced pages, two, four pages. And I, I put it up there. I had a number of motivations for this. Let me, a, a quick story. Yeah. When I was a college actor, also busy in some of the community theaters in Nashville, Tennessee, there was a reviewer with the odd name of Clara Hieronymus. <laughs> now, Clara Hieronymus was the theater reviewer for the Nashville Banner for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she died at the age of 100 just 10 years ago. Clara would go to all sorts of theater productions, including uh, Vanderbilt University theater productions, some other local theater groups that I was active in. And it was wonderful to see her summarize and appreciate, there's that word again, what we as a company and actors had been trying to do. In some sense, I think my whole undertaking after I retired from the State Department and came and relocated here and had the opportunity to do pretty much anything, Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of pay back that, that sensation of being seen, being appreciated. So that was probably a fundamental aspect of it. Now, at the same time, there are a couple of other motivations for me. I had an enormous gap, as I mentioned, in my knowledge of U.S. theater. So Mm -hmm. I was going and trying to fill that in. And beyond that, I had this notion that perhaps I could encourage people to go to the theater. In other words, to get up off their couches Mm -hmm. and go out and see live theater and understand how vital and interesting that was. Now, those uh, three motivations, you know, paying it back, I feel like I've, I've really managed to do that. And I've certainly filled in over the last 15 years, the previous <laughs> 30 years of gaps. But I have not succeeded in actually really increasing the audience for live theater in this town. Turns out that the website is really being read principally by the artists themselves. Yeah. So that's a, that's a long, long answer, but... Yeah, and it partially answers at least the follow-up question I had in mind, which is, who do theater reviews serve? Are they for 
the potential audience for the shows you're reviewing or are they for the community? And it sounds like you have both audiences in mind, in your case at least. Oh, that's true. Um, I think there's a distinction between uh, reviews that you write for a professional um, mm -hmm. production, sort of uh, something from Zach Theater or Austin Playhouse or the touring shows. Yes. Um, it's a basic principle that any review uh, is good for marketing because you can always pull out whatever is, is positive in it. Whereas I want to be much more gentle and much more widespread in dealing with nonprofits and community theaters or, or what I call just groups of friends who get together because this is their devotion. Mm -hmm. um, I like what they do. I want to see more of it. I want this town to be able to see more of it. And it continues to persist. These activities continue to persist despite the financial and economic challenges, the, the, the problems finding a venue, etc. Right. And I want to do everything I can to support them. Yeah. Well, that is another point I explicitly intended to hit on, and that is ah. the differences between, as you say, reviewing a professional organization like the ZAC, the ZAC being the premier professional theater in the Austin yes, area. definitely. Um, and you also review on the site the touring productions, Broadway Across America, that sort of thing, as they come through. Uh, but I, in preparation for this conversation, I read a couple of your recent reviews. One of Blythe Spirit at the Gaslight Baker in uh, Lockhart, where I recorded a couple of these episodes. Very much a community theater. One that has high aspirations, of course, as most of these community theaters do, but a community theater, amateur, not-for-profit. In contrast, the review you did of the Zach's Sound of Music. Uh, the Blythe Spirit review had a lot of synopsis and I'd say very little criticism. I, I mm -hmm. want to distinguish between negative criticism and just, you know, yes. constructive criticism, but it was, uh, you, you did make some comments there in the Blythe Spirit review that are, certainly are criticism. You know, you were analyzing... Or, or describing the different potential takes on the author's work and that sort of thing. But a lot of that review was synopsis. And in contrast, Sound of Music, virtually no synopsis. And that may be almost entirely because Sound of Music is a classic. Which well, it's so absolutely true. If people it. are likely to know the show, mm -hmm. Blythe Spirit happens to be one of my very favorites because it's so witty and so surprising as you go through the plot. Um, and I wanted to entice people to come see it because right. it's certainly worth worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah. But in contrast, the Sound of Music review has so much focus on the technical aspects. And well, it you will wasn't rem you'll remember that that particular production they made a very big deal of uh, the technical aspects. They brought yes. the extended the audience right up into the playing space, mm -hmm. and so that there was an interpenetration. Um, and it was presented uh, on a kind of a beer hall uh, basis, mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun. And it was a pretty bold experiment. And I will say that Zach in general has been, has been bold. And mm -hmm. it's uh, very interesting to see those things. In fact, tonight I'll be going to see uh, their Cinderella, which is being done in collaboration with Deaf Austin Theater. Oh, okay. And in fact, Cinderella herself is deaf and will be doing her lines with American Sign Language, and that will be super titled. So uh, that's an example. Mm -hmm. I'll certainly talk a lot about that. Certainly don't have to tell the story of Cinderella. Yeah. 
Now you, I know you created CTX Live Theater to post your own reviews, but now you have been posting reviews from quite a few other people. And I suppose the majority of reviews at this point are posted by the other folks, the other contributors. Well, no. In fact, I checked the statistics that are recorded on the website. I've written 818 reviews since Uh uh, mid-2008, and I've published 414 more. A total of 25 individuals have written reviews for CTX LT. It's it's hard work. Um, You know, it takes quite a while and and some hard thinking, uh, some hard drafting time. Sure. Um, and of those 25 persons, there are only five of us who have written more than 10 okay. each. What I was actually getting at, though, was the fact that you're serving as an editor-in-chief, more or less. And, and I'm curious if you have provided guidance to any potential reviewers as to how they should approach the difference between professional versus completely amateur organizations how should they attempt to write those reviews? And, you know, perhaps not for people here in Austin specifically, but anywhere. Well, you know, at one point, I was contacted by Austin Community College by a professor who said, do you take interns? And uh, I said, well, sure. And I I spent a, a great deal of time drawing up kind of rules and recommendations on how to actually write a review. But the individual that they uh, they chose was not a particularly good writer, mm-hmm. wasn't terribly uh, good at uh, delivering on time, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that in, uh, in that small experience, I thought, well, interns are certainly not the way to go. And what has happened over time is that I've had expressions of interest by people who would like to write a review. And I say, please, go ahead, submit it. I'd be happy to look at it. Now, after a career in the diplomatic service, I'm an editor. I am an editor, uh, but what I edit for is less content. I trust the reviewer on the content, Mm -hmm. but I will look at the syntax. I will check the spelling, for example. I will try to make the expression as clear as possible without altering the meaning or the goal of that particular review. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't tell them that there's any difference between a professional show and a nonprofit or a community show. Mm-hmm. I simply wait to see what happens. And the thing is, I've got three major collaborators just now. Dr. Dave Robinson, who also reviews dance, Brian Paul Scipioni and Justin West. And they are all very able and very perceptive. So I have entire confidence in the the folks I I work with. Is there a sort of minimum set of qualifications that you would recommend someone having before they were to publish a review themselves? Well, let's be frank. Theater reviewing is a dying art. And in fact, you you could claim that once you write a review, it's dead a week later or certainly after the production closes. And I've got 818 of my own sweet corpses uh, stocked (laughs) on the website and available. Sometimes you get people who are Googling for a certain piece or play, and maybe they'll contact me with with a comment on it. But in general, for reviewing, it's a difficult art, and it's not one that is terribly permanent or rewarding in in the sense that publishing, say, a novel uh, would be. 
Mm-hmm. Now, leaving that to one side, frankly, the same skills are required for reviewing as are required for um, generating publicity materials for your for your productions. Mm-hmm. You have to write well. That's that's essential, and you have to write cleanly, get the ideas across in a vivid, relatively short sentence fashion. Mm-hmm. You have to have a knowledge of the specific skills involved in a theater production. You really need to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Please, please mention the playwright and other relevant aspects of it. Certainly the director and all the designers who are unseen themselves, but whose work is, is evident throughout a, a production. So you have to remember to tell the whole story in that way. And I think for me, the most challenging is you have to be able to find a time to clear your desk, clear your mind, mm-hmm. sit down, and in uninterrupted fashion, generate your ideas, write your text, polish it, before you send it off, for example, to me, mm-hmm. or you publish it. Now, <clears throat> there's a whole mechanical aspect of this that bedevils me very, very often because I'll write my piece, I'll put it up, I'll read it line by line by line, but all too often there's a spello or a typo mm-hmm. or, or uh, something has been dropped. And I'm always grateful, for example, when the company or our reader contacts me via my email, ctxlivetheater at gmail.com, to say, ah, did you really mean to spell it that way? I I will correct that. Now, as a segue, I'm happy to hear comments from anybody via that email, ctxlivetheater.com. But I don't take down reviews because, in general, I feel that I have reviewed the review Mm -hmm. and... There's nothing offensive or untrue in it. And I won't engage in polemics back and forth generally because, you know, that's like yelling in, on social media. It's simply not worth my time. The fact and that you're I making st- these statements <laughs> implies that you have been contacted by folks. I, I, not, I, not frequently, but yeah. yes, it does happen. So I have assumed that in general it is inappropriate for those involved in a production to have much contact with reviewers. I, I And I was just going to ask about that protocol in general. I assume it's, you invite people to invite you to see performances. I presume that's about the extent of the contact that ethically should happen, right? You know, I, uh, I agree with that entirely. The fact is, when I started off this, I'm a very shy person. When I started off this business, I was happy to be an anonymous face in the crowd mm-hmm. and then put up my review and think, oh, those people will be surprised and happy to see it. But, you know, time goes by and as anonymous as I would like to be, people <laughs> know who I am. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I do get invited to review things, perhaps because there's a perception that I'm not out there to try to sink the production, but mm-hmm. rather support it. In this connection, <clears throat> let me mention... Gilbert and Sullivan Austin. I wrote a review of their Iolanthe back in 2009, and the GNS board was surprised, I suppose, I assume delighted, and they invited me to attend one of their board meetings. 
And I did, a little apprehensively, looked around the room. I, I recognized one actor, but otherwise these faces were all new. But I wound up agreeing to serve on the GNS board where I've been ever since. That's 13 years now. And I strictly avoid, I will not write a review of a GNS production, although I'll encourage one of my collaborators to do so. As far as actual contact with the company, once you're known, uh, you, you may exchange emails, but it's rare that I would say linger afterwards or right. reach out directly in relationship to a particular show. Right. Now, for GNS in 2021, I was given the production responsibility for some videos that they were wanted to put up during the theater shutdown. Mm-hmm. So there, exceptionally, I reached out to individual theater artists and found people who would interpret Gilbert and Sullivan in a very contemporary manner. Mm-hmm. But that's it. that was as a producer, right? not as a Different reviewer. Role. You specified there, in regard to a specific production, is there any level of I guess, pleasantry that you encounter where people just send you a, hey, thanks for reviewing this show. And- oh, well, yeah, I'm, there's a, a set phrase. And and I'm, I'm intrigued. I don't know if there's uh, a ritual to this, but uh-huh. people write and say, thanks for all you do, <laughs> which just always makes me feel good. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And I, I certainly identify with that sentiment. Though you say you might not have achieved the audience growth that you set out to do, it, there is a sense of community that I think is, is bolstered by having CTX Live Theater present and having this ecosystem. Yeah. Sort yeah. Of, uh, well, you know, and, uh, just to be clear for those who haven't looked at ctxlivetheater.com, it features reviews. Mm-hmm. It also features a comprehensive list uh, with uh, thumbnail illustrations of auditions that have been uh, announced all across central Texas. Mm-hmm. I collect arts news of all sorts of interest to theater artists, and I have a complete listing of all of the live narrative theater of which I am aware that occurs in central Texas. I started out only with Austin. I extended it to San Antonio, found found some surprising and very interesting things going on there. For example, the Overtime Theater, which is a very small outfit of people who are writing and performing original material. Mm -hmm. And they they churn right on. Uh, (laughs) They are as as non-commercial and probably as non-profit as you could possibly be. But there are other groups like that in Austin. So I started with that metropolitan area. But then over time, I have gone to, or at least extended the reach, to, starting in the West, Fredericksburg, mm-hmm. Waco, Corsicana, uh, Brenham, Victoria. Uh, there are a couple of places down in Aransas, Aransas Pass, yeah. Corpus Christi. I'm now even covering a, a theater that's down in Brownsville. Uh-huh. And then over to Bernie. And, and for Kerrville. listeners who aren't local to Texas or Central Texas, this is a very large geographic range. Brownsville is probably a six-hour drive away. Uh, like that, yeah. About that. Same about with Corpus, that. six or yeah. seven hours. So it, it's huge, and I've probably bit off much more than I can chew. And I'm waiting to see when I'm going to start uh, 
dropping things, but for the moment, I'm managing. Yeah. Well, let me ask a very specific question since we've been in all these generalities and high-level philosophy of reviewing. If you find yourself attending a performance, a community, amateur, not-for-profit, not a Zach performance, not a Broadway tour performance, uh, that you just don't have anything nice to say about. I mean, has that ever happened? And what do you do in that case? Do you just not review it? Or would you go ahead and proceed with publishing a negative review? That's a hard one. Um, You know, it's very, very rare that there is a production you cannot praise some aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a a guilty conscience about one little piece that was done by uh, a group of friends at the Rollins Theater. It was just too stupid. I was very straightforward and gave a very flat, unappreciative review. Uh-huh. I, I don't want to flame anybody. That's, that's not the purpose of what I'm doing. But if I go somewhere and I have been given a ticket, I see it as my responsibility to account for that. And if there are aspects which are not realized well, I will note them. I won't dwell on them or go into depth. Right. But... It's my duty as a reviewer to let people know if something simply doesn't work. And so I sort of reluctantly have to drift over to the side of, of criticism. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that is done with the kindest of intentions. You know, I like the, I like the title of your, your podcast because what I have discovered over time is that each of these companies or groups is indeed a community. And there's very little migration from one to another. And a little company in a small town will be doing things that are appropriate for the folks who live there and who mm-hmm. come. You know, there are some, some tiny, tiny theater companies, Smithville, Smithville Playhouse, for example, uh, Corsicana, I found out, has the Warehouse Living Arts Center, which I hadn't mm-hmm. known about. Bernie has a has a very active your your Lockhart Gaslight Baker Theater. Mm-hmm. I discovered them very very early on, and I was terrifically impressed by by their dedication and by the quality of their their works, including you know set design, mm-hmm. but acting is fine as well and. Uh, Wimberley Playhouse, of course, they kind of set the mark for uh, community theater in that they're very devoted. They have their own space. They're very capable both in terms of the acting and, uh, and the design. So this is a process for me of perpetual discovery. And uh, more than anything else, having extended the reach I'm frustrated that I can't get out there and see more of these companies. There are so many. <laughs> well, for example, there's a, I can think of two, two companies that have been established just in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, each of them put on stage a version of Hedda Gobbler. Mm-hmm. Now, one of these was the Broke Thespians down in San Marcos, Kyle, Buda area. And the other is the Silent House Theater up in Waco. And each of those productions was distinctive, was very well done, and 
if you're somebody who just watches television or somebody who gets uh, excited about going to see Pretty Woman at the Bass Concert Hall, you never would have discovered it. Those are people who really deserve support and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly the goal of this podcast. And a lot of the organizations you just mentioned have already been featured on the podcast or are on my short list Mm -hmm. to to go out and see. I should mention the whole dilemma of theater reviewing. Mm -hmm. There was for a long time in this town the Austin Critics Table, which grew out of the habit of arts writers from the print publications getting together over over drinks and talking about what was going on. And under the leadership of Robert Ferris from the Austin Chronicle, um, this became an institution. And in Mm -hmm. fact, sort of in, not in competition, but to complement what was going on at the Austin Circle of Theaters and later the B. Iden Payne Committee, they would draw up a list of the events that had most impressed them. They'd publish that. And then Robert was able to make an arrangement at the comedy club where the arts crowd could gather to hear the winners from this particular list. This institution continued, and as an online writer, I looked at it with fairly jealous eyes. But then Robert reached out and invited me in. So it wasn't only the print reviewers. It was also some of us who were writing for online publication. That was, I think, in 2015, 2016 in in that area. So I found that very satisfying to be respected by my peers, who actually were earning money on this. (laughs) But then, unfortunately, um, COVID killed it dead in that Robert Ferris left the Chronicle. All the theaters shut down for an extended period. Mm -hmm. And The Statesman no longer publishes theater reviews. Its staff has diminished, and the marketing approach there is they're looking for stories to attract a sufficiently broad attention to get a lot of hits on the the websites. So they simply don't do theater reviews. They'll do features, but not reviews. The Chronicle continues to publish one or two reviews uh, a week, by their very able writer, Bob Abelman. And I have reached out to, uh, to those two. And I have reached out to Bob and to Courtney Thomas, who has reviewed for Sightlines magazine, with the thought of perhaps putting back together the Austin Critics Table, not as a broad arts endeavor, but rather focusing and essentially making it the Austin theater critics table, and perhaps we can actually get back together once a year. Maybe we can invite the people we admire, the theater people, for an evening where we can celebrate them and point out the ones we thought had the greatest successes during the year. So it's sort of an award ceremony. It is an award ceremony, but, you know, the only authority is just us. Right, well, the other Mm -hmm. awards... I mean, there is the B. Iden Payne Award, which has actually got, I think, a pretty rigorous system. But then the other award system across the United States is the Broadway World, uh, which is very informal and is just based on who clicks on the, the emails. The Broadway such. World model is essentially a popularity contest yes. that challenges theater companies to go out and get their supporters to click yes. on the website. And I have very, 
I have varied opinions on that because I've received a couple of those awards. And so <laughs> I, I want to praise the system, got- but I am afraid I have to agree with you. Uh, I believe I received those awards because there was someone very motivated in charge of publicity for the theater I was working at that year. And very successful, obviously. Yes. But I like to think that a, that a Critics' Table Award would have some validity right? Uh, because based on uh, criteria. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was going to ask you but, uh, <clears throat> what you perceive the health of the, I want to call it the theater criticism world, but we've discussed that criticism might not be the most appropriate term. So of theater journalism uh, in the Austin area and the world at large. I think clearly from what you've just stated, you do not view it as being particularly healthy in Austin in particular. Is that just a natural and widespread side effect of, I guess, the decline of print journalism? I think it's directly related to that. And let's face it, hiring a theater reviewer is expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's probably what happened with, with my friend Robert Ferris, He was arts editor for The Chronicle. And The Chronicle, like everybody else, uh, faced increasing costs, perhaps uh, diminishing revenues. And like any corporation or business, when you're facing that, you have to look to see where you can cut. Mm -hmm. And that has happened all across the United States. Now, mind you, there is an association called the uh, American Theater Critics Association, And there are professional reviewers out there who are still paid, but far fewer than before. And I think it's not a burden exactly, but the responsibility has been transferred to the shoulders of people like myself and my Mm -hmm. colleagues. I'm aware of a few instances, I suppose pre-pandemic, when some of the rural papers, I believe the San Marcos Record, uh, the Wimberley View, I th- I might be misremembering, but I believe they would hire freelancers occasionally to write a single review. Is that not something that the, the large publications in Austin have really done? I suspect that's what's happening at the, the Chronicle. I know that's how Sightlines operates. Um, is Sightlines national or is it a... No, Sightlines was founded by Jean-Claire von Reitzen who was the arts editor for The Statesman. Hmm. And her position was eliminated, oh gosh, perhaps five years ago. And after some, some time off, she put together Sightlines magazine, which is a, an online magazine publishing articles about arts generally, much wider than theater. There's a lot of reviews of uh, painting exhibitions, films, etc., etc., she makes it a point of pride to pay her contributors, but I have no insight actually into her finances, mm-hmm. uh, the, her website's finances. I, do, I pay nothing because I make no money off this. Uh, right. I don't carry advertising. God knows I would be happy to pay my reviewers if I could, mm-hmm. but that's just not the business model that I have. And that's, I mean, that's essentially the world that I am operating in, you know, most of. There are some of these theaters, some of these groups are really trying to pay at least honorariums. 
Governor Sullivan has paying, been paying honorariums for years. Yes, that's true. I mean, it's certainly better paying than a lot of the uh, the the theater, the pure theater companies. I think that's partly because it is straddling the world of musical theater and opera, and the operatic world is more commercial, perhaps. Perhaps. But you know, this is a dilemma that faces not only the world of reviewers, but certainly the the world of the artists. Mm. There are very, very few people who actually make a living doing arts in Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps the staff uh, at the Zach Theater. Um, I think it's probably important to make the distinction making their primary income as performers. Yes. Because I have noticed that myself being so embedded in this community. There are a lot of people who are educators, professional educators. A lot of them work at in the public school system, a lot of them uh, individual voice teachers, that sort of thing. But to survive in the arts, the vast majority of those folks are, are teaching. Um, I'm certain that's the case, which is why it really warms my heart when you go out to a small town, mm -hmm. say, uh, for example, the Hill Country Community Theater up in Horseshoe Bay, out by Marble Falls, mm -hmm. They do have uh, a director, uh, um, and that, that person, I believe, is paid. But everybody else who goes in there is they're straight out of the community, mm -hmm. and they are engaging in the art because they love it mm -hmm. and because they want to show it for, for their neighbors. And that really comes down to what the essence of theater is. Classically, you gather your community in a circle around you in a sacred space and you tell a story mm -hmm. and you can tell it more or less uh, extravagantly or with more or less uh, technical expertise but as long as the audience is there and participating by listening and imagining it it's magic yes that is wonderfully said let me circle back to uh, where we were quite earlier in the discussion. Just because uh -huh. I, I missed this one. Or at least I'd like a little more clarification. What is fair game when you're writing a review? Clearly, I, I've alluded to what you wrote in the reviews of Blythe Spirit and uh, Sound of Music. You hit the synopsis. It's very common for reviews to mention individual actors. You have cited that you think it's appropriate to make sure to credit all of the directors, the, the set construction or the set designers, the lighting, all the technical things. But where is the boundary of that? Is it correct for a review to criticize the script, the source material? Or to take it one step further, if it's an adaptation of a novel, say, is it appropriate to be... Commenting on the quality. Absolutely. Of, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was in graduate school and I um, got myself at the University of Kansas a Master of Arts in International Theater Studies, uh, which was mostly comparative literature, but with nine hours of practical theater. And I wrote a thesis on theatrical versions of Don Quixote, mm -hmm. uh, examining, uh, analyzing. One in English, one in Spanish, and one in German. I mean, that's an extreme measure. But um, it is absolutely fair and appropriate to talk about an adaptation of a novel 
um, sense and sensibility or pride and prejudice mm-hmm. or any of the things that have been done with Shakespeare, for example. Rarely is Shakespeare verbatim from the text. <laughs> there'll be edits, there'll be changes, and quite frequently a change of setting or um, concept. All of that is absolutely appropriate for a reviewer to comment upon. I was just looking today at uh, a review, one of my first from 2008, in which Austin Shakespeare presented Macbeth at the Rollins Theater, in which Austin Shakespeare presented Macbeth with Mark Pouet and Shannon Bauer, who's now Shannon Bauer Anderson. And in the opening of the review, I expressed my reservations because it seemed to be set in a third world country amongst a group of militia. Macbeth was uh, dressed as if he was Che Guevara, etc., etc. But then I said in so many words, but it works. So a reviewer should be absolutely ready to comment on the concept and also comment on the script. There are scripts which I have trouble with. Um, Anything by Jones, Hope, and Wooten, who are a writing trio that love to depict small-town Texas life with bizarre characters. Mm -hmm. People love them. I mean, they they are produced all over Texas because, well, it's natural. We like to laugh at ourselves, or we like to laugh at exaggerations of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But frankly, if those pieces were being produced in, I don't know, Seattle, one might take offense. Um, So the script is absolutely fair game. Do you find yourself often commenting on the efforts directors seem to have gone to to connect the themes of a piece to the modern world, to current events, that sort of thing? For example, uh, Cabaret. Did Cabaret at the Wembley Players 2017, I think? When we were in our first few rehearsals, the director talked about the relevance of the setting. I forget the term. Is it Weimar, Germany? Right. Yes. Just prior to, uh, to World War II, the, the themes implied by, by Cabaret and how that relates to the modern world and the role fascism is playing here and seemed to be playing in 2017. Does that sort of thing become apparent to you as an audience member, as a reviewer? And is that the sort of thing you try to to comment on? Well, I think that's definitely the case because in in any theater production, there are multiple things taking place. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are sitting there watching the performance of a script that's about a defined space, place, and time. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that and credit that. But you, as a person living in the contemporary world, will wish, perhaps have the right, to understand the relevance of what's being presented there to your own circumstances, your your current world. Mm-hmm. A lot of theater, particularly in this town, is done by relatively young persons who have very strong ideas about how the world should be mm-hmm. or about how the world is changing. It's completely acceptable for them to present those notions in a play form. 
and um, for the audience then to take them on board and consider how they relate to the audience member's own world. Mm-hmm. But I will, I will say that although I served in my diplomatic career some 12 years in Africa and six or seven years in Latin America, I have welcomed expressions of theater that are devoted to diversity. I think this has been a very healthy development. Mm-hmm. Austin has some Spanish language or bilingual companies. I wish it had more. There is one African-American black theater that has constituted itself, founded by Billy Harden and, and his associates. That's the Spectrum Theater. But they have not been terribly active. Uh, there are, are some traveling shows that will visit, done by K.Z. Frazier, that are written pretty much exclusively for uh, black audiences. All of that, I think, is terrifically healthy. I would like to see more of it in this town. Mm-hmm. And um, the city of Austin, certainly with its uh, arts funding, has made it perfectly clear that that is what they want to see and support. Mm-hmm. And you, you note that there is more and more of that diversity being expressed by theater companies, both large and small. Mm-hmm. And I, I see that as an absolutely appropriate development. I may have gotten away from your original question there. No, but in an interesting way. Well, I suppose there's only one broad question that, that I have, and I don't know if you'll feel qualified to answer it or comfortable answering it as a reviewer. But the, the fundamental question is, and, and I'll provide a little setup for why I'm asking it, is how do you think actors, directors should interpret reviews? What should we do with that information? And I think think it's probably fair to say most, at least amateur community theater actors, have chaotic, intense, anxious relationships to reviews. We tend to await them with bated breath. I think the probably more mature reaction is to ignore reviews completely during the run of a show and only read them after the fact because there is the capacity to be incapacitated by what is perceived as a poor review, even if it isn't. We are also very bad at interpreting the meaning of reviews. We tend to interpret not being mentioned individually, which may mean nothing, as a catastrophic failure. And I'm I'm painting with a very broad brush there. And those are probably the the most melodramatic responses we have. But actors in general tend toward having large and fragile egos. And so I guess in the way I frame that question, I am implying we take them too seriously. But what is your interpretation of that? Should we be paying attention to reviews while we're in the middle of a run? Should we be paying attention at all? Well, let me start with a couple of observations, and one of them is I hear Derek Smoot's uh, talking there. Oh, certainly. (laughs) And the second one is an anecdote. I played the old guy Skelly in Lanford Wilson's The Rhymers of Eldritch when I was at uh, university. And the reviewer, it may have been Clara Hieronymus, Mm -hmm. took exception with, with some of the action that I was 
portraying on stage. I don't even remember exactly what it was. And my theater professor, who was also the director, came to me before the next show, and he looked at me, and he said, remember, play it just the way that I directed you. Mm -hmm. And I took away from that that I, as an actor, was in service of the concept that the director had established and all of us as the company had embraced. And the corollary to that is, you know, it's very courageous to put yourself on stage to be observed. Someone said that there are two great fears uh, in, in the world, and people generally are terribly afraid of spiders, <laughs> and they're afraid of speaking in public. Mm -hmm. And an actor does far more than just speak in public. He assume, he or she mm -hmm. assumes a persona, pours himself into that, into that persona, into that story, under the guidance of the director. A lot of acting technique explicitly attempts to achieve vulnerability. Yes, absolutely so. So as a reviewer, I don't care when you read it. It makes no difference to me. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do is support the art. And you can delay if you like. And if I don't mention you by name, well, you know, there are a lot of people associated with the production. Certainly, if you did a bad job, mm -hmm. if you were absurd or clumsy or stupid in your interpretation, I will not say a word about you. Mm -hmm. But just because I do not mention you does not mean the contrary. It does not right. say that you failed. Right. You won because you got up on that stage, you risked yourself and your scalp and your hind in <laughs> to tell a story. And I can, I can only applaud that. All right. I am sure I will think of many other questions and observations that I wish I had uh, <laughs> had in, in the moment. But is there any parting thought that you, you uh, wanted to get to? Maybe one. And that was in, your, uh, in the material you furnished me ahead of time, mm -hmm. which was how does ctxlivetheater.com function as a, as a model, as a possible sure. model? Sure, yes. Well, the fact is, the cost of publication have, have fallen to almost zero. So anyone who wants to comment in a structured way can certainly put up a blog, as I initially did, mm -hmm. or a website, as it subsequently became. Um, I'm unhappy with much of what I see on social media mm -hmm. in that it's so bereft of content. It'll be, oh, I saw XYZ and it was great. Yeah. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. It also doesn't tell the company or the actors anything. So that collapse of the costs of uh, technology for a publication, on one hand, opens a way. It's also a factor in why the formal print publications are withering. So it's not the money costs that are involved. The real cost to putting up a review website in an organized, structured way is the cost to your time. That means the time tending the website. I, I probably spend three to four hours a day 
and that's almost a half-time wow. job, unpaid. In addition to that, I go to the theater. Say you spend two and a half hours at the theater, mm-hmm. you'll spend at least that much time writing the review, proofing it, gathering the uh, graphics or the photos to, to put up and illustrate it. So it's not really a model that's easy to adapt. You have to be really determined. I think the only person in the area I'm aware who has done anything like this is Kurt Gardner, who publishes Art Scene San Antonio, Art, Art Scene S.A., but he has a much wider focus. He, he'll review a theater from time to time. Yes. So it's not easy, but you have to love it, mm-hmm. and you have to be dedicated to I it. I presume part of the reason that you're spending three to four hours a day is, well, twofold. You've expanded the scope beyond reviews. You That's have, true. You have the audition notices, lots of similar things, and the geographical scope. But beyond that... I believe your your website is all custom made. Yes. And I'm lucky in that my son, the computer engineer, was able to put up a platform that right. that uh, is very efficient. You know, WordPress or the others can give you a blog format. It would be very easy to start as I did, yeah. which uh, was Blogspot, I think it was. It's probably still up there. Yeah. Uh, it certainly seems like the era of the blog has passed to some degree. Those platforms just aren't nearly as popular as they were. They have been supplanted largely by social media behemoths. That's right. They've drained away. A blog generally was fairly thoughtful. It could be extensive or like your podcast, it could deal with things in, in depth. Whereas social media, it's mostly yap, 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 and it could be bark, bark, bark. Uh, doing something, as I said, structured and organized, it's basically going to cost you time. Yeah. Do you connect in CTX Live Theater to social media? Do you have a, a Facebook page for it? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. absolutely. In fact, every time I publish a review or a, an audition notice, I put that up at the same time on the Facebook page of CTX Live Theater. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to reach out to the artists both ways. Yeah. And Fairly typically, I'm, I'm grateful people like uh, Austin Community College will pick up those audition notices that oh, show okay. up on Facebook and they will pass them on to their students. I, I suppose my, my question is, if someone is in another region that doesn't have an equivalent to CTX Live Theater and they want there to be one, you know, how do they go about solving that? And it sounds like starting with a simple WordPress might be the best option. Yeah, I but... think that would be it because you accumulate things. You make yourself known. You make yourself uh, appreciated. Mm -hmm. A theater company is always going to be thirsty for outside information about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I love these people, um, and I'm happy to do that. And I'm sure that in uh, another area, another market, although I hate to use that term, a theater company that sees someone writing about them is going to immediately know that, show it to their friends. And who knows, if you want to set up your own blog or model, you might get offers of tickets. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I believe we've mentioned the URL of the website a number of times, but (laughs) one more time just in case. And are there any other avenues that folks might want to reach you at? Oh, sure. Well, the uh, URL or website for what I do it's ctxlivetheater, with an R-E, dot com. 
and it's the same thing on Facebook, CTX Live Theater. I'm delighted that we now have what I consider a sister website, which is atxtheater.org, which Sharon Bauer Anderson was principal in setting up a year and a half or two years ago uh, to publicize uh, theater that's going on. That's a membership site, but it costs nothing to join, mm. and you get a, a, a weekly advice of uh, theater going on in the week, audition notices, and from time to time, a special offer. So that's a fine undertaking. They don't do exactly what I do. They don't review, but mm -hmm. they are certainly complementary to my efforts. And the other website I should mention is my uh, favorite, uh, which is gilbertsullivan.org. So that's Gilbert Sullivan, written as one word, dot O-R-G. And that's a fabulous resource for everything that that company has done mm -hmm. since its inception way back in 1976. And they have auditions coming up soon. Yes, indeed. In uh, February 25th for the comeback performances <laughs> of The Mikado, yes. which is a Scottish setting for The Mikado. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been the Community of Theatre podcast. As usual, I'll include links to the sites mentioned in today's episode in the show notes, as well as the dates and contact info for those Mikado auditions. I don't know if it's possible for there to be a proper conflict of interest, given that this podcast is not currently monetized in any way, but in the interest of full transparency, I too have recently joined the board of Gilbert and Sullivan Austin, and am now working, rather volunteering, alongside Michael there. I am delighted that Michael was up for having this conversation, actor to reviewer, but I'd like to reiterate that it is inappropriate and potentially harmful to the community to contact or approach a reviewer or a critic regarding a production in which you're involved beyond inviting them to attend or thanking them for doing so. I'll also note that prior to scheduling this interview, I did not recall whether Michael had personally reviewed any shows in which I have ever performed, and I purposefully did not look that up until after the episode was completely recorded and edited. Finally, if you're listening to this close to its release date, and if you're local to Central Texas, you've got two more chances this Friday and Sunday to see the Broke Thespians production of Love Sick in San Marcos. I'm in the show and sharing a scene with Tommy Jackson, who you might know from multiple past episodes. The show is co-directed by Mitchell Odom, also featured on episode four. If you have opinions about the podcast, find me after the show. I would love to chat. Of course, as always, you can reach me at communityoftheater at gmail.com or message the show's page on Facebook. Thanks for listening. And if you're currently in a production, break a leg.